Welcome, Iditarod Nation. I am your host today, Kristen Bogan, Digital Communications Manager over at the Iditarod. And today we are talking with Monica Zappa, and she is uh, from Kasilov, Alaska. Mm -hmm. That's where you're camped out at, but you're not quite there yet, I hear, then uh, for the summer. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we are still at our winter winter camp, dog camp, up in the Caribou Hills. Um, it's outside of Nanilchik, about an hour and 20 minutes from our Kasilov location. Um, but winter is going away very quickly. I look out, and there's just a couple patches of snow here and there, but it's mostly uh, brown. So, yep, it's time to start thinking about uh, summer and everything that goes with that. And that includes moving to Kasilov. But um, uh, a couple more weeks at our at our winter camp, and then, and then we'll head down to the beach. So do you um, have a summer training with the dogs or what, what do you, what's that like? Do you pack up and you move everything and you're saying you, you don't have to move as much houses now because you have a, a, a little bit better setup and less dogs. How are you running dogs in the summer? <laughs> what do we do in the summer with the yeah. dogs? Well, don't I'm sure the dogs would argue that they don't run nearly enough. Um <laughs> but they do we do a little bit of of uh, mushing out at our fish camp location. Um we have a cart. So a wheeled um a wheeled cart and it can take two full-size adults or like three kids plus the driver. Um and we have like a 2-mile loop. And so that's that's really fun. Um, that's something that uh, tourists or just you know anybody who wants to experience a sled ride in the summer can do. It takes about twenty minutes, and uh, we stop the dogs. You know, it gets hot in the summer. Um, it gets in the sixties and seventies, so we have to pick our times accordingly. We usually like to go in the evenings when the sun starts to go down. Um, to make sure the dogs don't get too hot. And then we stop and water them a couple times. So it's, I mean, for the dogs compared to running a thousand miles, you know, to a little two mile trip, it's kind of like nothing, but it's still, you know, something for them to do. And they love the process of meeting new people and at least getting, getting in their harness and stretching out a little bit. Um, so it's at least something. And then we usually do those trips a couple times a week. And even if we don't have, um, you know, people to bring on rides, Tim and I'll just, hook them up for fun or maybe bring a neighbor or something or a friend or something on a little, on a little uh, cart ride. And so we do that um, again, weather according, because last, like, especially last summer when we had the fires and whatnot, we didn't, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of, of mushing cause it was smoky and it was just so hot. Um, so hopefully, you know, it's not, it's not like our main business. It's not like we have to, um, do 10 trips a day or anything like that. So it is low key and it's just a fun thing for the dogs to, um, you know, do something. But then we will also start a little bit of training with the four wheeler. A lot of times in August, when things start cooling down a little bit more, um, we'll start taking, taking the dogs out on the four wheeler and take them down to the beach. Uh, we're right across the road from the beach, uh, at our fish camp. So, the beach is a great place to train. That's um, 
kind of our main fall training area and then there's some great uh wooded trails too but you know like i said we have a lot of other stuff going on so the dogs kind of you know sort of take a back seat but at the same time um you know we have some options for for getting them out and doing something in the summertime you know, I didn't think about those fires. I'm here in uh, Wasilla, and I know last year, really, there's been a couple of big fire years re- recently. Yeah. You know, here out here by uh, Wasilla and Willow, and there's a big, you know, blood dog community out there. And then and I think it was it, it was last year that you guys down there uh, had some fires too. Yeah, I think it was the same right right in the same uh time frame, maybe even the same day. Uh we had we had fires down here uh, more in the Sterling area, which is about 30 to 40 miles from where our dog uh dog lot for the summer is. So we weren't threatened, but we got a lot of smoke, you know, depending on the wind. Um and you guys had some real scary fires up that way with how fast um I know they picked up and and they were just that that one day there was just multiple fires popping up everywhere and definitely near mushers. So that yeah, that's definitely a huge issue and concern probably for even in the Fairbanks area, probably for all Alaskan kennels in the summer and just having that uh having your dog truck um ready to go, having you know, having gas in it and that kind of a thing, like making sure it starts and stuff. Um you know, we do that. And then um, we have another trailer. So if we had to, we could stick all the dogs in real quick and um, evacuate. So, um, yeah. That- well, it's already mm-hmm. pretty warm out. So we're, I don't know, our, 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 I'm thinking we're going to have a pretty hot summer. <laughs> it's already melted. Uh, you were saying it pretty much all melted. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting, we got dumped snow on this winter and now it's already pretty much fast summer it went away so fast yeah actually like i can't believe our dog lot is completely dry you know usually we have a few weeks of just really mucky and muddy conditions where you feel really bad for the dogs because you want to give them snuggles but you just get covered head to toe in mud so you kind of have to wear like full gear well I don't even think we had maybe one day of that this year and it is totally dry. They're all in nice dry grass now. So it's great for the dogs, but yeah, it is, it does make you think of how dry it already is. Um, the fire danger is already high. So yep, it is, it is a scary thing. We're trying to rake all the grass around our structures for a little bit of protection and that kind of a thing. But, uh, until we get that, that green, uh, fresh grass, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a, critical situation unless we get some rain so it's yeah it's one of the things that i really don't like about alaska is is the wildfires one of the few things yeah you never (laughs) yeah you never know you never know and it's been pretty hot and you know not that much snow in the winter times lately so we'll see how it goes Um, but i do want to get one thing out of the way while we're talking i think every time um this comes up whether we post something about uh, you on our facebook page or whatever uh-huh. somebody always asks if you're related to frank zappa but i think we 
kind of, we talked about this uh, during the restart too, I think. And I think it was a no, as far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. They're out, you know, there could be some, you know, long lineage that goes back. I don't know, uh, many generations. And I'm hope hopeful that I have some sort of relation, but you know, it's nothing close. It is not my, <laughs> my immediate uncle or anything like that, which would be super cool because I love Frank love his music but yeah unfortunately it's just so funny <laughs> the things that people are like are you related to frank zappa <laughs> just so funny also a, another thing that always comes up is your very good fashion sense you know musher fashion yep. we have a few mushers that have these bright colored jackets and uh, their teams have like bright neon uh, coats and, and, and doggy booties and, and matching and all that. Um, so I don't know if you plan that out in advance or if it's more like people need, you know, on the trail, it's easier to see you when it's dark. Well, it's actually quite a combination of, um, I guess scenarios that, that got me looking so hot and <laughs> I have to definitely give 99% of that credit to, um, Deb Ives with Posh House. Um, she is, she lives in Nilchik and she has become a great friend of mine and sponsor. And she's made all of my my gear, uh, my human gear, as far as the parka that I wear, parkas. She's made a couple of parkas for me, um, and she is the the incredible um, visual fashion. Um, a creator and so um we have gotten together and, and designed the gear and she's designed gear for a lot of mushers over the years a lot of mushers have worn posh house um she actually even sponsored libby um so she's been at it for a long time so um she had quite a collection of bright fabrics and she's like you have to be seen you know this was when i first started running iditarod uh we got together and she graciously offered to sponsor back in 2014 and so we designed uh, the first parka and she's like you know you have to be seen and um, be well photographed and all this and i was like you know okay well you know you know more than i do so that's kind of how that all started and then um a couple years later when i ordered my new sled from uh, sled dog systems they're like Oh, this is going to be so much fun. We're going to make it to match your parka. So <laughs> they, you know, that was kind of, I was like, of course, let's, let's look the best we can, you know? So they got really excited about, you know, doing the, the neon and the lightning bolt stuff on the sled. And so all of a sudden things just kind of came together. And of course, um, the yellow booties match so well. So kind of once, once you have one color theme going, you might as well stick with it. And so that's, that's how that has, uh, progressed and and actually even though i would say it's a little bit by accident you know i wasn't like no matter what i want to be neon yellow but you know that's um that's what we ended up doing and i'm really grateful because out in the trail yeah there's a lot of emotional ups and ups and downs and whatnot and you look down and you're just like so bright and colorful and it just kind of just makes you happy so I have to say, like, uh, <laughs> color therapy is what I called it. Um, it really does work. So that there's, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, 
That's a really good perspective on that color therapy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. um, Because it's, you know, kind of been a an experiment uh, for myself, but it, it works. So yeah, I'm, I'm and then we all know who you are when you yep. you know who it is yep. on the trail or in the pictures or in the video. Exactly. Uh, we know it's you. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you know, all the other mushers know who it is too. But it'll, like, it takes a while for me to figure out who everybody else is, but they all know who I am. So it's kind of <laughs> kind of interesting. Unless somebody has a really unique parka, then you then you know who they are and can see them from a mile away. Have even they've even said in in different newspaper articles or whatever that i was i'm seen from space (laughs) for sure uh it's a good thing it's a good thing (laughs) yeah so you've been um racing the iditarod just that since uh 2014 um and i think there's a maybe one year skipped. I don't, I don't think you were in last year. Yeah, race. we did a independent trip from Ninana to Nome. So mm-hmm. we, yeah, we didn't participate in yep. the Iditarod, but yep, we took two teams and two snow machines and had a bit of a expedition. So. And before that, how did you eventually get up to Iditarod? Before 2014? Um, well, I, yeah, in the mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what got me there? Um, well, uh, going back to, I grew up in Wisconsin and my parents were mushers. They participated in the uh, Bear Grease and kind of just had a smaller kennel. Um, not, not super competitive, but they did, um, they were involved in, in Bear Grease. And, um, my dad always talked about Iditarod and said, oh, one day I'm going to run the Iditarod. Um, but never, you know, never, materialized and he uh we ended up or my parents ended up um kind of moving on from the dogs when I was about 12 sold the team and so I didn't really do a lot of mushing myself um and I didn't have dog I didn't even think about it quite honestly after they sold the sold the team um I went to college and grad school and they traveled and you know did things in my teens and 20s like that and just one day in 2010 I was in Oklahoma uh University of Oklahoma and I just was needing needing a change of pace and hadn't had a dog in like 12 years and decided I really needed to have a dog in my life or dogs <laughs> and somehow started like googling around at different kennel opportunities or dog handler opportunities and within a few months I was in Kasilov. <laughs> um that was in 2010 when I came to Alaska and pretty quickly after that I met Tim who's Tim Osmar is my partner here um and obviously he's he already had a dog team he I think he had maybe close to 60 dogs at the time and so ended up um, you know, working with him for that year. And it was, I was intending to just stay in Alaska for a year and then you know, move on with my life. The plan at the time was to do Peace Corps. Uh, but I just, I really fell in love with the dogs and the whole lifestyle and, and everything here. And so that it'll be, um, 
in June. It'll be my 10 year anniversary of Alaska. And so, yeah, I can't imagine living anywhere else. And uh, how, how it started with running a Diderot again, you know, I, in, when I first moved up in 2010, the intention was just to, you know, check out the lifestyle, but I had no idea that, you know, no intention to run a Diderot. Um, and it wasn't until 2012, uh, we had done a trip down to Wisconsin with the dogs and done some races down there and then came back and the Iditarod was starting um, when we came back and so I got to watch it for the first time and that really uh, was an experience that I it kind of changed me and I decided I really wanted to give it a try. I didn't know how I was going to be able to do that um, financially mainly it was kind of a scary idea but um, yeah just I just decided I wanted to try it and things came together um, in 2014. So I did my qualifiers in 2013 and then 2014 was the the rookie year and the infamous race of no snow. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yep. Some odd, odd years we've been having with low snow. Not this year. We had plenty of snow, I think. Is that right? Yeah, there was certainly no lack of snow, but it was a very strange race. I actually, in a lot of ways, I compared it to my first race quite a bit because of just the difficulty, although for, you know, very different reasons, but, you know, high number of scratches and just, just a really tough race. Um, so I think this last year was definitely uh, the toughest race since my first year, um, just for a lot of factors and <laughs> having to yeah, keep your keep your mental powers uh, positive. Well, we had I mean a lot of interesting things happened. We started out well at the restart at least in Willow with Snowpocalypse. It, you know, all of a sudden dumped on us. It was beautiful at the start. It, I mean, it seemed like perfect weather. It wasn't, you know, too hot. It wasn't too cold. You know, we had clear skies and then plans change. We're going to have uh, two feet of snow in a night. <laughs> so the, when you, I don't know if, if you remember, you're probably so focused on, you know, mushing and what you're going to be doing do, when you wake up and you see, two feet of snow, do things change in your mind? Oh, yeah. No, I was really focused on conditions. Yeah, that's actually on the race, you're pretty well focused on conditions. Uh, I mean, that's like the main thing because <laughs> that's, that's what everything else is based off of. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, you know, even the night before the race that it started snowing and I was, I was looking at the forecast and stuff. I was like, you know, we did not need any more snow at that point at all. And, you know, you kind of get to this point, this, this winter, this happened. It was just like unbelievable. Another foot of snow, another foot of snow. Cause we down on the peninsula had gotten a lot in uh, February and March. And, and then, you know, we were up in, in Anchorage and, willow area and they had gotten a ton and so like okay nobody everyone's ready to be done with the snow but nope we're gonna get another foot so yeah no i was really aware of it and we you know took lots of extra time getting to the start and 
get there and there's there's a foot of snow in the parking lot and it and then it was it was warm wet kind of wet snow and i was like kind of freaking out because i'd forgotten my rain gear or i i decided not to bring it because i you know when we were packing at home i was like oh you know thinking things things were it was 60 below out on the yukon when you're looking at the weather on the trail i was like oh i won't need rain gear well you know <laughs> it was warm yeah never mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it did rain but it was that yeah. wet heavy snow that uh gets you wet you know so um Quince uh, was parked next to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't bring my raincoat. And he graciously um, gave me, I guess his sponsor or one of his sponsors had given it to him like a Tyvek suit. So I stuck that in my sled and I ended up, I ended up putting it on a couple of times further on down the trail. Um, when, when we got to the coast, uh, Uniclate, it started, it did rain. It was like this wet heavy snow rain mix um most of the coast so yeah i was happy to have that so that was nice of him um but yeah it's just like this year we were we were in we didn't see 60 below luckily but um 40 below close to 40 below um out in nikolai and in a couple uh, probably about two days of real cold and then and then it got real warm so yeah almost every year that i ran it's you get this mix of cold and warm and kind of hard to plan for as far as you and the dogs but uh what is it a 70 80 degree temperature difference that you have to deal with on the race so yeah that's a challenge and plan for really in advance i mean how do you even plan for all the different weather situations that could come up i mean you know it's probably going to be cold so you're you know, you know, planning for that, but are you really planning for it to be warm on the coast? I mean, that we were in Nome and it was basically rain, snow, sleet. Yeah. I don't know what even to, you know what to call it. It's it coming from all directions. You're, it's like pins, you know, in the face. Yeah. It's so like turns the ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. and windy. Here. Yeah, pretty much you always have to, I think every year I've been on the coast, it's warm. It's always warm on the coast, just like miserably warm, <laughs> I think in the last, I think every, this is our seventh trip to Nome, I think every single year on the coast has been warm and it gets, like, I don't know if you guys are thinking of moving the race, but it gets so, I mean, it was like breakup when we were trying to get to Nome this year, but um it gets so warm and then there's so much daylight that it gets to be a real um challenge for the dogs because the sun is so bright so i that was my main focus this year was trying to run run my team in the cooler part of the day and in the night uh, because it's just especially some of my dogs have really thick coats and um, they just, they literally will not run <laughs> when it's, um, a blazing, you know, blazing sun and 35 degrees. So we have to be careful about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I've had the experience that I've had because, um, I know what to focus on, but that, that really uh, trail conditions and, um, and the temperature is, 
really the main uh the main thing that I focus on trying to get that right as far as um you know running in the right part of the day and stuff makes all the difference really you know I didn't even think about the you know the glare or the um just like the sun heat on the dogs I mean they're they're probably you know sweating so do you so and then you like to run them kind of in the cooler times anyway then I how do they I mean I guess they kind of have to adapt a little bit and you kind of got to go when you got to go you know when your your time is to head out of a checkpoint you kind of you got to head out too well you uh you kind of adjust your plans as you're going um there was definitely certain um you know checkpoints where I had already been there five or six hours but it was four o'clock in the afternoon and uh I we they they were not wanting to leave you know they're taking a nap in the sun and like I said I have my my lead dog Blue Steel um he lets me know <laughs> he's like this is too hot to run and he'll he'll kind of jump into the snowbank and and just sit there and it's like well if your lead dog's not going you're not going so you know we have to work together we've we've learned how to have learned how to you know understand when he performs the best and so yeah i i did i took longer rests at certain spots and you just waited for the sun to start to go down and it was when i was leaving um koyuk it was interesting because we knew that big storm was coming and so i had to kind of i had to leave i knew i had to leave because the storm was coming but it was still pretty warm so so we left and we went really slow for probably the first hour or so but but then it started to cool down and you know they picked up and then the storm came and the wind um that helped cool him down too and he liked that he likes storms he likes the wind so i was actually really thankful when the wind started to pick up and things cooled down a little bit but then it really started snowing hard so uh, that got to be a challenge too, uh, but yeah, it's it's all about conditions, and for the yeah for the dogs, it's all about temperature, and it is unbelievable what a difference it makes. Yeah, you can you can definitely in the in the trail firms up nice when it gets cooler in the night. You know you can you can have a trail that is sloggy and slow, and you can you're going like six miles an hour on it, and then you know it it'll cool down and firm up. And when it gets dark and and you can cruise pretty good so um this year though it wasn't even getting cool at night on the coast it was still like 30 degrees so that that wasn't really happening uh, it was just a it was just a slog um but yeah we we absolutely had to run at night as much as we possibly could because yep that the dogs they're the ones that <laughs> they let you know that's all I'm, that's all i can really say is they let you know and um, you think about yourself, you know, running. You wouldn't want to go out when it's 90 degrees and run a marathon or something. So um, same for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I bet. So do you think about things like sled weight when you're when you're packing? And do you do you weigh things um, like you have to have all this gear and uh, no. you know, be prepared for night? Right. And, the only things I weigh are. Uh, my drop bags because they have a 50 pound limit so i weigh them to make sure i'm not over my limit um but as far as i just 
yeah, I just try, I try really hard this year to, you know, cut down on extra stuff and just like not have a bunch of heavy stuff. And I did okay. Um, my sled that I took from the start to Uniclate is super big and, and it has the big tail dragger thing on the back and everything. And it's just a really heavy sled. It's great because it's really sturdy and won't break. Um, but it, it's a heavy, very heavy sled. It's like the largest sled that sled dog systems makes. And so, um, I guess I went a little overboard when I, when I bought that sled, I probably should have gotten a smaller one, but that's kind of a hindsight thing. So anyway, I knew my, my sled was too heavy. I was really wishing that I would have switched to a smaller sled, like in McGrath. Um, I was, yeah, my sled was, was probably a lot heavier. I think my sled, like, without anything in it is like 80 pounds. So, um, <laughs> uh, on the river, yeah, we were, we were slow. I was, I was wishing I would have done things differently. Um, but I reduced as much stuff in my sled as I possibly could. Um, just had, you know, the basics and then some extra gear for myself because, you know, that's always really important to have dry, a dry spare set of gear and stuff like that. But other than that, besides my required gear, I, I just tried to have not, not much else. Um, but you know, if I did it again, <laughs> I would, a lot of, a lot of the mushers are getting smaller and lighter sleds. And, um, I would probably have to do that because I mean, I still, I had, I had a big enough team and, you know, they pulled it and they got, they got real strong. Um, but I think we could have gone a little faster if I had a little bit lighter of a sled. Uh, so, I mean, weight, yeah, I don't know. It is important, it, but it, it really, the big, biggest difference is just trail conditions. Like if we would have had a nice, hard, fast trail, it would not have mattered if my sled was heavy, you know? So it just, it, it varies on the year and kind of depends on what the trails. Yeah. And this is your, well, I guess if you count the, the exhibition run, seventh time going up to Nome, yep. uh, I'm sure there's several lessons learned each year. Do you, do you like take note after each run? You're like, okay, these are the things that we want to plan for next time and we're going to make these changes. Are there some real big ones that <laughs> you thought really made a difference? Um, oh, I don't know if I'm that organized. Take <laughs> note. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I lately I've been, you know, saying I'm never going to do it again. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'll do it again or not. But um, if I did, if I did do it again, I would, I would get a lighter sled and plan to switch over to that a little earlier. I mean, it's always nice to have your big heavy sled like going, you know, through the gorge and that kind of a thing. But on a year like this, with all the snow, uh, that wasn't that wasn't as big of an issue. Um, and you know, maybe a sled doesn't matter that much. My partner Tim, can't remember who he got the quote from, but uh, um, he likes to remind me that it doesn't matter, you know, what what the sled is or anything. Um, but it's just what matters is what's in front of it. You know, um, the dogs, how, you know, the dogs. And, how they're performing. So that's, I mean, that's obviously the main thing to focus on. Um, but you know, every, even people with other sleds had, were going really slow. So it wasn't like I was, you know, any, I was, I was, I was pretty much in the ballpark as far as a lot of my run times. It was just, it was just slow no matter what. So, um, yeah. How do you deal with that? You just, 
<laughs> there's not a lot yeah. to do. Um, but what else, what I would do differently? Um, yeah, you know, you can always think back on it and it's, it's, it's all a hindsight thing, you know, say, oh, I, I should have rested here differently or rested here differently. You know, I think about that a lot. You know, I think like, oh, you know, well, my team was strong enough. I could have gotten away with a little less rest in the beginning. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten so far behind. Maybe I, you know, maybe I could have made it to know before that storm type of a thing. I think about that for sure. But, you know, that's, that's hindsight. It doesn't, you know, pretty silly to beat yourself up over that um you know I had a team this year that had a lot of young dogs rookies I guess on their first like it was about half and half with dogs that had uh, never never been on a Diderot before and dogs that were veterans so you know I like to run conservatively I didn't want you know I wanted to make sure that those uh dogs weren't you know having to skip too much rest or anything and having a good time so we you know we took a lot of rest in the beginning and kind of how we always do it and it was good because uh they they were strong and you know finished with 12 so that was that was nice all my young ones made it um but you know you always are like great i finished in the back of the pack again <laughs> what could have i done differently but, i don't know but you finished. I mean, it's an accomplishment yeah, to yeah. to run the whole race and it finish. Is, it it's, is. you know, it's an experience. You know, it's a great experience. And I'm sure there's um, moments you have out on the trail that, you know, are were there any where you're like, you know, this is like just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, you know, the moon or yeah. whatever, or, you know, the scenery. Yeah, no, actually, just as you just, yeah, with the moon, um, there was, the first moment that I had like that was going through uh rainy pass. Um, there was a storm and it was a cold one and it was really windy. And it was like just wind right directly in your face. Um, and it was, oh, it had to have been negative 40 or 50 with the wind chill at least. It was really, really cold. Um, and then we kind of like got through that and the, and the moon was going down behind the mountains and, things kind of just like calmed out a little bit and it was just like this perfect beautiful uh, moment and yeah that that was a moment that I remember being like this is this is incredible especially after like you make it through a storm you kind of have the adrenaline and you're like this is just this is an incredible you know place to be up here um where not very many people ever get to see and here I am with the dog team you know just made it through this mountain pass um that was that was really cool Unfortunately, there wasn't much for Northern Lights this year, but um, in years past, I mean, there's just been incredible Northern Lights that I I can't even describe how just awe-inspiring, awesome they are. Um, yeah, so like that, stuff like that, for sure, for sure. I don't know. The the main thing for me is just the the bond and the relationship that you build with your team after two weeks on the trail is incredible I, you know, I love that oh man it's all about the dogs they're they're just awesome but yeah I mean finishing finish, finishing is is the main thing um but yeah it's especially in the first like two three days it's hard it's really hard to kind of get your get yourself physically in shape for it I mean in, in the dogs too like even though they're in good shape and trained and everything um you know just getting used to that 
running, you know, schedule, um, running a hundred miles a day for after about three days, they're like, Whoa. <laughs> and so, you know, then you get your 24 in there and then after the 24, then things kind of start to maybe normalize a little bit. And all of a sudden your body feels like oh, I'm getting in shape for this. And, and the dogs too, like, um, you can kind of tell, like, oh, they work through their sorenesses and you do too. So, um, but yeah, it, is really hard for me it seems like it's just really hard those first few days <laughs> a lot of times I'm thinking like what was I thinking <laughs> what was I thinking here you know I could be on a beach in Hawaii or something <laughs> so um but yeah yeah <laughs> definitely like it's a mental evolution I would describe it as just the whole trip um from the well there's a lot of dog care uh, as you're going to each checkpoint um you have some kind of a system you you know you got to get them bedded down and fed and and all that uh, is there a certain way you do it do you uh plan it out in advance have you do you test how fast you know you can get to all the dogs and get everybody all the dogs taken care of um, yeah i mean you kind of get your routine um you know after a while you figure it out i guess but well you know maybe some of the top people time themselves for feeding their dogs or something but i don't do that uh no it's just yeah figure out a way to just get it done so you can get your nap in it's about what you try yeah faster you can get your dog chores done than the the more sleep that you get, um, that when you get to the checkpoint, that's usually kind of what you're thinking about is getting yourself <laughs> a little bit of a rest. Um, but yeah, dog care for sure. Um, figuring out a way to feed your dogs quickly. Um, and what I do a lot of times is I'll, I'll make up a wet cooler and bring it with me and feed it at the next checkpoint. Um, so I have that dog food already ready to go. Sometimes I'll feed it on the trail if it's a long run. Um, but just feed it at that next checkpoint right away when they get there so they don't have to wait because depending on if you have water, if you have to make water with your cooker, it can take an hour to make dog food. Um, so there's, I guess there's some strategy there. Um, like I like to do that, but then you're adding weight. So, you know, we're already talking about weight. One of the heaviest things is dog food, especially if you're carrying a full, if, if my cooler, uh, I think it's like six gallons or something at least if i had a full cooler of dog food all soaked out totally full it's like 40 pounds anyway it might even be more but so like you know am i gonna carry all that with the water and stuff or if it's a hilly train maybe i won't so that's kind of like a strategy that i'm thinking about like that weight versus the time but a lot of times i'll do i'll do at least a half a cooler and then, you know, maybe feed it on the trail. But a lot of times I'll just feed it when I get to the checkpoint or I'll just feed snacks and then kind of give myself a little extra time to make their dog food. But yeah, but like, yeah, planning out your your checkpoint uh, strategy. And, and it's not the same every single checkpoint. It just it just depends on how long you're going to stay or um, what the resources are available, because some places... Um, some checkpoints have boiling hot water for you, like 
the the villagers or the uh, volunteers make hot water. Not all of them. Um, I wish all of the checkpoints. I mean, every musher wishes all the checkpoints had boiling hot water, but uh, but they they don't all. Uh, like I said, sometimes you're melting snow in your cookers. So yeah, that's what you sort of have to think about and and weigh the out. I mean, I like to feed the dogs when they're hungry. So you know, that's the main thing too is making sure the dogs eat. Um, and there's strategy to that because sometimes, um, what I find is the dogs are super starving when they get right, when they get to the checkpoint. But if you wait, like for, for my team anyway, if you wait like 10, 15 minutes, like if you, you know, if it takes you an hour to make your food and then you feed them the food, a lot of times they're like, oh, I'm sleeping now. I'm not going to eat it. So. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a strategy. Like, Yeah. Feeding your dogs is a huge strategy, and I don't know um, that this this year there was there was bugs that were going around and stuff, and um, some teams had a real hard time getting their dogs to eat. Um, so yeah, that's that's the most important. You got to keep you know, keep the fuel going in um, to get the energy yep. uh, out. Um, luckily, my my dog team ate well the whole way, but yeah, I had to strategize. I had to make sure. That they that they got something to eat right within that first fifteen minutes of getting to the checkpoint, and so I'd either do the meal I brought with, or do give them you know snacks. I had a lot of different snacks. I'd give them a bunch of meat or something, and then let them take a nap for a couple hours, and then you know feed them again. So that that's the strategy there, and just figuring out the timing of it all just is something that is different at every location. So wait. So were there snacks for you? What about the people snacks? Oh, there's so many <laughs> snacks. Yeah. I don't, for some reason I always overdo it on the on the food. This year I was like, I'm not gonna overdo it. But yeah, I have a lot of snacks. Um my some of my snacks, um I do a like a homemade energy bar. It's really good with peanut butter and chocolate and, and like nuts and seeds and stuff, uh, coconut oil. And so it's like a high energy energy bar. Um and I have meals like um, chili and mushroom soup, and um, and I had some dried food meals. And then sometimes the checkpoints have food. I had a lot. I had trail mix. Um, oh, I had like those coconut cookies. I had tons. I had plenty of stuff to eat. <laughs> But yeah, it's good to have like stuff that you can kind of just snack on while you're going down the trail and then stuff that you can make hot, um, however it is that you do that uh, when you're camping. But yeah, usually you Well, you're running, mm -hmm. yeah, 24-7 basically mm -hmm. and probably most likely getting less sleep than the dogs are, I imagine. Oh, yeah, for sure. So you need some pretty good energy food, some running food. Yeah. Yup. Um, I did my food a little bit differently this year. I didn't have as much like super high fat. In the previous years, I've sent out like three pans of lasagna, you know, equivalent of that. So like two pieces of lasagna everywhere. And that was good. Like I did like that in the past years, like when it was really cold. But then I realized when it was warmer, um, my cravings changed too and i wanted more like uh lighter just kind of more like vegetables and rice type stuff so um i i kind of changed my strategy and i was glad i did because it was mostly that like kind of warmer stuff where you didn't you didn't really crave the high fat um 
like if it was 40 below. So it's it's interesting how your own uh, human cravings change too. And then you can kind of understand how the dogs, because same with them, we feed them a lot more fat, you know, just like straight up beef fat and different kinds of fat uh, that we mix in with their food. Uh, and when it's cold, they need a lot more fat. And when it's warm, they don't even, if it's like 30 degrees, they don't even like to eat their, their fat type uh, food so much. That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about how your body would want different types of energy uh, running in the hot. Well, I guess that makes kind of sense because like in the summer, you kind of like switch to more fruits and vegetables as opposed to as a you know regular winter, you're like comfort food, warm things like, yeah, chili and soups and whatnot. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely. It took me a couple a couple years to realize that, but then yeah, once I was like one year on the coast <laughs> and it was hot, and I was like, "Ew, why does this this food just not taste good?" It's, you know, this high fat food, and I'm like, "I just I'm craving vegetables." <laughs> so it's it totally works like that. So yeah, I just like try to have a mix. Um, I sent out one of the things I really liked was the seaweed snack. You know, you can't really have fresh vegetables on the trail. It just that doesn't happen. So, uh, and then I had like some dried, uh, like little snack that you can buy at the store, like broccoli, like dried broccoli. So, like I figured out, you know, figured out a way to kind of get those in, and they were good. I was glad I had them. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of ahead of time planning, and I imagine it takes just so much work and there's so many little things that you know somebody just watching uh like myself just doesn't realize the how much planning it goes into it and you know thinking back to years but then you're you don't know what this year is gonna bring you like all the different you know weather and and craziness that we kind of had um and plans change when you know the outside world some kind of major virus disaster happens yep. and you can't have your regular checkpoint like this year. Yep. Uh, you know, weird stuff like that happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just pretty amazing. Yeah. How you guys, you know, are adapting kind of daily uh, to what's coming at you. Yeah. I mean, mushers like that's sort of what you have to do. You're already kind of programmed to adapt to whatever is coming at you. I think it's probably, honestly, it was way more of a challenge for organizers this year <laughs> to figure out how they were going <laughs> to uh, pull off those checkpoints and whatnot. Um, and you, like, yeah, there was a lot of, like, discussion as far as be between the mushers, like, how is this going to work? What are we going to do? And stuff like that. But then, you know, if you, it's one of those things in life, too. Like, if you don't, like, freak out about stuff and just take it when it gets there and, you know, see what you're actually dealing with when you when you see it which we realized like at a checkpoint like Shaq too like it was amazing um you know there's not really that much of a need to like pre freak out <laughs> but you always do but um yeah in hindsight like you're like yeah, there was no reason to freak out because everything is everything is great here you know so it's just you know do, doing things differently sometimes for humans is difficult yeah, and then you also uh, were a part of the what we are calling now the Alim Eleven, 
uh, you you and a, and a group of other mushers were kind of stuck in a limb for a little bit and we had some overflow, you know, water overflow on the trail and the trail had to be moved to an old trail and um, you guys ended up having to turn around once and then and then try it again. How was that? Um, it was interesting, you know, there was just, like, a lot of uncertainty, um, I felt like, you know, because the year before, we had done it on our own, um, there was no trail markers when we did, when we did our little expedition, we were ahead of the race, um, this was last year, and so we actually ended up going through that same section, and we got lost in a snowstorm, (laughs) so... I kind of had been <laughs> knew what that felt like. It didn't. It wasn't great, but we we made it out. Um, but just uh, the the trail that that we took and where we turned around and everything. Um, it's basically on top of a mountain, uh, so it's just like it's harsh conditions up there. And so, I mean, I guess I kind of knew what to expect, but I was also like trying to be prepared because. Um, yeah, I just kind of knew that it's uh, difficult to find your way across there. There's no, there's no markers up there. Um, there's no way of knowing where the trail's at. So, I mean, I kind of knew what to expect. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if I was surprised or, I, was, I guess I wasn't super surprised when we uh, ended up having to turn around a, a little bit. Uh, kind of felt, I mean, there was like 20 people up there and you know, can understand how community you know 20 people and 11 dog teams so i don't know how many <laughs> 100 150 dogs or whatever it's just kind of an interesting scenario trying to uh communicate with people and figure out what we we're doing um so that was kind of it was a new one uh <laughs> a little different for sure i mean yeah it was a little bit different for everybody watching too i think um we have obviously the Iditarod uh, insiders who follow you all on the GPS. And they're, anytime anything out of the ordinary happens, they're contacting us and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're all very concerned always about the you know well-being of the dogs and the mushers and do you have enough food if you get stuck there and, and everything. Yeah bad will go through the minds of our our fans and and watchers so (laughs) we're very happy that you guys were fine you were you know being taken care of in a limb and and we're we're able to get to to gnome and use that old trail through that time were there any thoughts like oh am i really not going to finish this time or or anything like that um, I guess I think you always have those thoughts <laughs> at some point. There's a lot of thoughts yeah. uh, over the course of the race. But, um, no, I mean, I always felt like our team was, we were, you know, we were, we were cruising along, um, not fast, but we were cruising. Um, but when we were in Elam, I definitely was like, I didn't know if they were just going to call the race off. There was many times I was wondering, I mean, we had the COVID you know, that was, Noam was shutting down. I didn't know. I mean, the whole time, long before the race, I was concerned about travel and transportation issues. I was like, are we going to get to Nome and all planes are shut down? We're not going to get out. And I, 
up until I got on a plane and got out, I was thinking that, like, I've been stuck in Nome before weather related. And I was like, oh, you know, this could, when we were, when we made it to Nome, I was like, uh, thinking a storm is going to come and, uh, then tomorrow the airports are going to get shut down. Like it was, it was close to that happening. Um, so that was definitely going through my mind, especially when we were in Elam and I wasn't sure if there was going to be a safe trail and people were getting evacuated by helicopters and we were hearing lots of stories of very deep overflow and I was like how how are they gonna put, you know, put us down this trail and everything so like yeah a lot of a lot of uncertainties this year um and then we you know made it somehow made it to White Mountain and then miraculously all the over, overflow well we got rerouted through the worst of it which was wonderful we so appreciate the hard work from um the folks that went out and changed the trail um and then a few other spots where there was overflow had frozen up you know it had been so warm and then miraculously it got down to like five degrees or something uh the night that we we took off to Nome. so it all worked out you know it's like just one of those things it was a great lesson for me of even though i i've said it multiple times you kind of have to keep learning it is there's just no reason to freak out um, and just take the situation as it comes uh, because a Diderot is something that you can you can certainly work yourself up into a tizzy of thinking about all the bad things that could happen. But yeah, just, uh, yeah. But you finished and you, you made it yeah. to Nome and you made it home afterwards. Yeah, okay. that <laughs> Get, yeah, get back home with the dogs. That was that was a good one. Yeah, because you know there was times in the race that I didn't know if I was gonna have to turn my team around and mush back if they closed everything further down the trail. You know, I just I didn't know, didn't know what to expect. Yeah, it was all so very different and interesting, especially for us at the I did rod office. You know, trying to figure out if you know we're finishing you know how are we dealing with these different checkpoints and respecting you know the villages and their wishes and and gnome and having people not you know asking people not to make that trip um you know out of respect uh, of gnome and the communities so yes very different and and we uh, many of us went home early from gnome right. so there weren't as much uh, staff there and and uh, celebration, unfortunately, but yeah. but people were watching, you know, online. We have a great following, so we're very thankful to have really good followers and fans yeah. and yeah, people who if, really if, just love mushing. They hear about it from my fans um, who watched the webcam, watched the finish on the webcam <laughs> to hear their rendition of it. That uh, they were funny. Oh, they're like. <laughs> we were so excited like they had to drive to like you know get their wi-fi to watch the watch the finish okay they're watching they're watching this like and then somebody stands right in front of the camera for the whole time <laughs> and as i'm like you know that's probably like the furthest thing from my mind as i'm like finishing i did around like caring about the camera or anything like that um but you hear about that i mean and how it impacts like 
your you know your friends and fans experience like oh no that's so terrible you know <laughs> um so yeah it was and it's yeah it was a crazy time we and also the weather in Nome would go switch back and forth between storming so we would get that like rain sleet snow deal and it would just be blowing from everywhere and getting on the camera screen so somebody would have to go out to the camera it wasn't a manned camera it was right. attached to uh, poles or whatever sure. so someone would have to go out there and wipe it off and sure. it had a, at a at a point it's like there's no way we just need some windshield wipers you know for yeah. this camera or something yeah the logistics <laughs> it was that camera going i can imagine yeah especially like i said it's the last thing from uh, my mind when I'm, you know, there, yeah, there was a snowstorm. We were just trying to get to the finish line. And you kind of yeah. have to get out on the trail for all by yourself. You know, even seeing people for the dogs is just like this is weird. So you know, we we don't really we're we're still not thinking about like the camera or anything like that. But um, when you think from the perspective of the fans who have been watching you online for for weeks um that's really an important thing to see that finish so um yeah i appreciate that you guys are um keep keep up on those logistics because yeah that is that is like really important for um for a lot of the fans to see and i'm very appreciative of all the fans i mean this is an endurance uh a spectator sport too because yeah being up at all hours of the night, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> watching to see if their favorite yeah. teams have made it to the checkpoint or made it through a storm or just like not knowing what's going on and stuff like that. It's, um, it's got to be stressful for them too. Well, yeah, you guys are coming in at really all hours of the day, night. You know, we had some, you know, early morning uh, finishers and E late late evening uh finishers and and then you got to think while you're there like do i can i be up for 24 hours or can i you know do i need to let my body just rest because yeah. as a you know volunteer or worker or whatever there in gnome it's like okay how do i plan my day out uh so you know i'm not falling asleep on the you know totally. <laughs> out there trying to uh to work and and whatnot and thanks to all really to the um the insider crew the camera crew, crew there uh really just work 24 7 you know and uh it's just it is a crazy logistics thing it's a crazy time but it's also really fun and we definitely appreciate all our fans and the mushers who come back every year to to run this race and we we think about you guys definitely all the time and the dogs and making sure everybody's got what they need so yeah, yep we are it lot, it's enjoyable it takes so much support and i forget from year to year how much you really rely on a lot of other people you know from helping take care of the dogs at home and just the sponsors and yeah all the volunteers it is unbelievable how much it really takes uh to put it all together yeah from a individual kennel perspective all the way up to the big picture of, of you guys doing the logistics of the food drops and yeah there's so much to it so i mean i'm really hopeful that everything uh 
yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in everybody's life right now. Um, I don't know if it's too soon to start talking about next year, but uh, I, I don't think anybody can say anything for sure. But I'm really hopeful that things can uh, be pulled off again next year, whether or not I run or not. But uh, yeah, I hope that there's a Iditarod 2021. Um, it's it's scary times, you know. Yep, it is. It's for everybody. Of course, we we wish you to be back next year, of course, or or even if it's not next year, in the following year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really great. We enjoy having you in the race. And I have enjoyed talking with you. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're probably pretty busy, even though, you know, we're on lockdown kind of, but you have a whole team to take yeah. care of. So yeah. Actually, we did. Uh, we're headed to uh, pick up some a freezer of food. Uh, somebody called to do a freezer cleanup. So that is something that the community provides, uh, you know, when they're, especially in the spring, cleaning out old salmon and stuff. Uh, we're very, very fortunate of that. But that's, yep, that's the afternoon activity. Go get some dog food. <laughs> well, that's great. Is there a, a good place that people can follow you? Do you have a public uh, Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter? Um, yeah, what? Dude, how can people reach I you? would say probably Instagram is maybe my go-to. Um, I, I also have Facebook. Um, um, I don't know on that one. I, I have a friend who did uh, my Iditarod updates, but I don't really um, throughout the year uh, post on the Teams app Iditarod page too much. Uh, but but uh, Instagram, Monica Zappa one, I post on there throughout the year. Um, that's a lot of fun to follow along. And then I'm hopefully, I do have a YouTube channel that I just put random videos on like long ago, but I am hopefully going to do more on that. I think it's kind of fun. I just did a video this week of just like meeting the dogs in the dog lot and stuff. Cause like I said, it was the best breakup ever. <laughs> no mud. And so I did a video and I just have to figure out how to upload it. So um, if you go to my YouTube channel, which I think it's Monica's app. I don't know. I'm not even sure. But I think it's, uh, I'm sure you'll find it if you put in my name, Monica Zappa. Um, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah we'll to, send people yeah, over. It's Monica Zappa. Um, I'm hoping to do more uh, videos. Yeah. And there's a, there's some finished and starting line videos on there and just some like old ones. I, I realized, like, I looked at a video that I posted on there, like, six years ago and I was like this is really cool you know like different dogs that you had and just the whole like um you know looking at a video from six years ago so I'm like I think I need to do some more some more little videos on here so yeah try to keep an eye out for that all right we will check that out thank you again Monica for um talking with me today and uh well I'm sure we'll see more from you I'll be doing something. Like I said, I don't know what yet. We'll just, I'll just kind of, okay. kind of going to keep it open right now. I don't really want, I'm, I, I'm just feeling like at this point, um, with how the world is and everything, I don't want to make any big plans for the future. Um, just, just, uh, see what next year brings and see, see how the dogs are looking and feeling and see how the snow conditions are and we'll do something. We always do, you know? All right. Thanks, Monica. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, everybody. Thanks for following.
Okay, Monica, I stopped everybody.